Well, all right. Well, hey, it's uh, great to be together as we are in the fifth week, the fifth week of a series that we've been journeying through that's been called Highlight God Through You. And uh, like Dan just mentioned a moment ago, if you are a guest with us here today, it's your first time at Grace, hey, we just want to say thanks for being here. Welcome to Grace. We're so glad that you're able to be with us. Uh, But if you are a guest and you're just joining us, or if you've missed the past four weeks of this series, let me kind of catch you up to speed uh, with what we're doing in this series. So basically, this entire series is our way of kind of journeying through this incredible, incredible book uh, that is found in the New Testament of your Bible uh, that's called 1 Peter. And so this whole series has been based out of, we've been kind of looking through and kind of processing through what this book teaches, the book of 1 Peter. And what you might remember if you were with us is we said... Now, one of the reasons that we're looking at this book is that even though it's 2,000 years old, nearly 2,000 years old, so 1 Peter would have been written in, uh, it's estimated probably about 64 AD, that even though it's nearly 2,000 years old, it is strikingly relevant uh, to the time and place that we find ourselves in today. We've been saying that the society and culture that we find ourselves in is looking increasingly more like that of the circumstances in which the book of 1 Peter was written. So just to give you a snapshot of that kind of the circumstances of uh, what was going on back in this time, and kind of as a recap, we said back in 64 AD, when this book was written, Christians were the cultural minority, and they were trying to navigate their faith in a society that was largely hostile towards and in misunderstanding of the message of Jesus Christ or the message of the gospel. So he said, Peter's actually writing to a group of Christians, people who follow Jesus, in a time where they're the cultural minority, and the message of Christ was often met with skepticism, it was met with apprehension, and even in some cases, it was met with antagonism. And so because of that, Peter was writing to Christians to basically say, how do you navigate your faith in a society that looks like that? And here's what we said. We said that, man, this is very relevant to those of us who follow Jesus today. And so for those of us who follow Christ, which, by the way, I know not everyone in this room might categorize yourself that way. Uh, you might be a person that's still kind of investigating Jesus, investigating Christianity. And if that's the case, we say this all the time, we're so glad that you're able to be with us here this morning. Thanks so much for letting us be part of that journey. But we've been saying that, man, for those those of us who do follow Jesus, who claim that, we're asking the same question. How do we navigate our faith in a world that is increasingly more misunderstanding of and hostile towards the message of Jesus Christ? So Peter's been helpful in those ways. And here's what we said. We said, you could actually summarize the entire message of 1 Peter in one very simple illustration. And the illustration that we've been using is, uh, is a highlighter. And we said, really, if you think about it, what Peter is saying in the book of 1 Peter is that Christians should live their lives like highlighters. Highlighters are really cool, if you think about them, because uh, they're created not to be an end in themselves, but they're actually created uh, to, to expose, to highlight, to, you can put it this way, to glorify or to draw your attention to something else. So when you highlight something, the reason you do that it's because it's going to stand out, it's going to jump off the page, but not in such a way that makes you look at the highlighter, but makes you look through it so that you can see what is behind it. And so in the same way, we said followers of Jesus, what Peter's going to say is that we should be like highlighters. We should stand out in the world that we live in. We should look different than everyone else around us, but not in a way that draws attention to ourselves, but in a way that draws attention through us so that people can see God in us. And so the character of God and the love of God and the goodness of God and the priorities of God and the hope of God, that all of those things are made evident and visible by the way that we live our lives. And so what we've been doing each week then is we've been saying, practically speaking, how do you do that? 
right? For those who follow Christ, what does it mean to live like highlighters? And so we've been processing through what Peter teaches. So far, we've discovered three ways, three ways that Christians live like highlighters. We talked about first, that Christians highlight God through our suffering. We actually said that Peter introduces us to an amazing concept and that Christians, the way we suffer, is actually an incredible opportunity to highlight God, to highlight his character and the hope that we have in him. So we talked about that. We talked about highlighting God through our goodness. We said Peter's gonna say that Christians are to be known for living good lives, for doing good deeds, and for speaking good words. And so we talked about that. And then last week, Pastor Seth did an awesome job talking about highlighting God through our community and basically said that Peter's gonna say that we don't do this alone. We do it together. Those of us who follow Christ collectively, that we are on a mission to highlight God to the world in which we live in. So if you missed any of those talks, by the way, I'd encourage you, go back. You can listen to those. You can uh, watch those on our podcast, on our app, on our website. All of those platforms are free. But today, uh, what we're gonna do is we continue. We're gonna look at a fourth way that we live as highlighters according to Peter. And here's what we're gonna talk about today. So go ahead and buckle up because here it is. We're gonna talk about highlighting God through our submission through our submission. Now, some of you are like, where are you going with all this? And so, all right, well, let's just jump in and let me explain uh, what, what, what we mean by this. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you grab it? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter two. So as we journey through this series, we're gonna kind of pick up where we left off last week. We're gonna find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter two. Uh, by the way, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, page 851 in the Bibles that are under the chairs. So go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter two there. And then if you don't own a Bible, you can have one of ours. We'd love for you to take one home, kind of make it your own. So 1 Peter chapter two, page 851, go ahead and join me there if you would. And again, what we're gonna see here today in the passage we're gonna look at is that Peter's gonna say that one of the ways that Christians are to live like highlighters and highlight God through us is through our submission, through our submission. So let's just go ahead and jump in. We'll start in verse 13. Hopefully you got it there in front of you. I'll also put it up on the screen. So verse 13, here's what Peter says in this section. He says, submit, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. So let's pause there. Notice how Peter starts this section off. He starts off with the word submit. Submit, yay. Everybody's favorite word said nobody ever. And so he says submit here. And not only is it most of our not our favorite word, but it's also accompanied by our second not favorite word, and that's the word authority. Uh, submit yourself to every human authority. And here's the issue. I think that this whole conversation, just by even introducing the topic, I think we recognize that this is one that is oftentimes met with a little bit of tension. This is a word that oftentimes makes people, especially us, I think, bristle when we hear it, and it kind of squirm a little bit. So I think just a fair warning, uh, before we jump into all the content of today's message, I think it's, it probably would be good for me to go ahead and label this morning a squirmy sermon. All right, so this is going to be a squirmy sermon, so why don't you just turn to the person next to you, say squirmy sermon, it's going to be squirmy, and we're going to squirm a little bit in this. And here's the question, though, why, right? Why does this topic make us squirm? And here's what I believe. I believe whenever we talk about submission, it's gonna make everybody squirm. But I think especially those of us in this room, uh, that we especially are prone to bristle at this word submit. And why is that? Well, I think there's three reasons. So first off, the first reason I think is because, well, we're human. We're all human. And because of that, I think that uh, it is in our blood to rebel against authority. 
just as humans. We are all descendants of our ancient ancestors, Adam and Eve. And the Bible says back in Genesis 3, there was a rebellion that took place against God's authority. And I believe that that consists, it persists today. It's in our blood. If you don't believe that humans are kind of made to rebel, just look at your kids. You're gonna see it inside of them. In fact, let me just ask you a question. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you would say that you have a rebellious streak? Let me just see your hands. Go ahead and show them. Okay, thank you. You guys just proved my point because if you didn't raise your hand, it's probably because you're like, I don't have to listen to this guy. <laughs> and so there you go. On both counts, right? So we're human. We're human. So we all are born to rebel. But here's the second reason. Not only are we human, we're Americans. We're Americans. And man, America, right? This country is built on rebellion. It is. That's our history. It's part of who we are. And so we live in a society where we don't necessarily view rebellion against authorities as a bad thing. In a lot of ways, we actually view it as something that should be celebrated, something that's admirable and courageous to rebel against authority. So yes, we're human. We're Americans. Then here's the last one. We're smart. You guys are smart people. We're all very smart. What I mean by that is, unfortunately, this whole topic of submission, the word itself, comes with a whole lot of baggage. And there has been much abuse uh, around this whole topic, the biblical, and especially as it relates to the Bible and the biblical understanding of submission. I think all of us can probably think of leaders, uh, whether they be elected political officials, whether they be church leaders, whether they be husbands in marriages who have taken this term some submit and have used it and abused it in such a way to subjugate and to exploit uh, people. And so because of that, we're pretty smart. And I think we learn that we see the abuse that can occur, and so it causes us to recoil a little bit. We talk about the idea of submission. Now, here's kind of the point, though, is we, we cannot, we cannot abandon the subject of the Bible just because it's unpopular and just, just because it's been abused. And so my hope today is that in the time that we have, that maybe we can clarify and demystify and hopefully add a healthy understanding as we look at the book of 1 Peter of what submission truly is and what submission, uh, what can truly do uh, in our lives and in the lives of others. So here's how I wanna organize the rest of our talk today around these three headings. Here's what we're gonna talk about. I think Peter's gonna help us talk about, first off, submission, what? All right, so... What is it? Help me understand what is the clear biblical definition of what submission is and what submission is not. So we're going to talk about that. Number two, submission, but, but, and I think Peter is going to anticipate that there are going to be objections, just like I'm sure many of you might have objections already when we bring up this topic. I think he's going to talk about that. Then lastly, submission, why? Why? Why is this, why is this something that God wants? What, is there a vision? Is there a goal? behind submission. And our hope is to kind of process through those three things together. So let's start at the top. And Peter's going to help us, first off, talk about what is it? What is biblical submission? And so what is it? What is it not? And so let's just go ahead and start there. Verse 13, uh, let, I think a good starting place for us here would be just to give you a definition. Let me just define what the biblical word submit is. Uh, so the biblical word submit is actually the word hupotasso. Hupotasso. You don't need to remember that. But what's, what that means is it means to place yourself under something or to place yourself under someone. 
That's simply what it means. Hupotasso is the act of placing yourself under something or someone. The word submit is actually a military term that was used in the first century, and it would refer to how soldiers would place themselves within a chain of command. And so if you think of like how the military is structured, how there's a very clear, uh, you know, there's a very clear order and a structure to how that works, that's the whole idea of submission. So what's helpful, I think, is to understand that submission begins with a recognition uh, that God has established an order within society, uh, within the church, within the home, that God has established a structure, that he has established order within those things. In fact, if you, uh, if you journey through the book of 1 Peter, you're going to find that the word submit shows up in several different places. And I'll just give you a kind of a broad overview of that. So he's going to say, uh, everyone, everyone is to submit to the Lord. He's going to say, uh, everybody is to submit to authorities. He's going to say that servants or slaves should submit to their masters. Now, I know that is oftentimes met with a lot of confusion, especially in our culture. Uh, wives are to submit to husbands is what the Bible says, not always a real popular concept in the society we live in. And then younger are to submit to older is what the Bible's gonna say. Now, without getting too in the weeds on this, I think what might be helpful for you to know is that what Peter is referring to here, what he's actually doing, is he's referring to something that are sometimes called the Hellenistic household codes. Now, what those are is that actually refers to the social order that was reflected in the first century. So in the first century, this is the way that society was structured back in those times. Now, we live in a different time and a different culture. Our society doesn't look exactly like this. And so, for example, we don't have servants and masters or slaves and masters. Thank God we don't have that anymore. But a modern-day equivalent would probably be something like employees and employers. Probably look something like that. Now, again, I won't get too into this. If you're interested, by the way, in digging more deeply into the household codes, I'd actually just point you to a series that we did in the past called The Everyday Revolution. We did an entire series that was based off of understanding the household codes in the Bible because you're going to find them all over the place, not just in 1 Peter, but in other books of the New Testament. So you can check that out online. I think that might help demystify and answer some of the questions that you might have when you look at this. But suffice it to say this, that submission begins with a recognition that God has established order within society, that he has done so. And so um, I want you to notice here, he's gonna say, submit yourselves, submit yourselves. Now, this, 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 these two words right here, I think draw a really important point as it relates to biblical submission. And that's this, that submission, biblical submission is for everyone, not just for a select few. All right, so I think this is helpful in clarifying because a lot of abuse that happens on this topic happens when people say submission is only for a select category, but it's not for everyone. That's not the Bible's gonna say. The Bible's gonna say, no, everyone who follows Jesus, everyone who follows Christ is to submit. That's God's desire for us. And so we're gonna see that right here in this passage. Submit yourselves. Everyone that has some authority in which God has placed in our lives that God desires us to submit to. Secondly, I want you to notice this. He says, submit yourself, yourself, submit yourself. Now this, this is a very important word because it draws out a biblical principle we see all throughout scripture as it relates to submission. And that's this, that submission is not, a, or is a decision, it's not demanded, all right? That's really important because again, that helps clarify where a lot of abuse comes on this whole topic. Biblical submission, biblical submission is always a decision. It's never something that's forced on you. It's never something that's demanded to you by the leaders that are above you. I'll put it this way. Submission is not forced, but it's a choice. 
Here's another way to think about it. Submission is not, biblical submission is not top down. It is bottom up. And so it's not the leader demanding submission. It is always the person willingly giving their submission to the person above them out of recognition that God has placed that authority in their life. This is, so, this is the healthiest way to understand what submission is. It is something that is given. It's, not, it's something that is a decision. It is not demanded. I think it's actually interesting. You will never, ever, ever find a verse in the Bible where God speaks to leaders and tells them, leaders, remind those you lead to submit to you. You're just never gonna see that. So I'll give you a couple examples. You actually see the exact opposite of this. So I'll show you in 1 Peter 3. He says to husbands, he says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. So whenever God addresses husbands, he never says, husbands, remind your wives she should submit. <laughs> never says that. In fact, husbands, if you ever do that, that, that is a gross abuse of what the Bible teaches. When the Bible refers to husbands, it says, husbands, you are to love and sacrifice for your wife like Christ does for the church. And you're to be considerate and you're to treat them with respect. So submission is never demanded, never demanded. You see the same idea with church leadership. Let me show you a passage in 1 Peter 5. He's talking to church leaders, elders, that, so that would include uh, people like me. That would be someone like me. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but be eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, being examples to the flock. So God never says, remind people to submit all the time to you. That's not what the Bible says. It says, instruct gently, look at God's word, but you cannot demand. It's a decision that a person makes. I think that's really significant. I love the way um, Peter Kreft put it. Peter Kreft is a Christian philosopher, and I really like the way he articulated this. Here's what he says. He says, there is a consistent teaching throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that the divine order for human society and relationship, now notice this, involves hierarchy, authority, and obedience. That's important, because here's what Peter Kreft is saying. He's saying, listen, God is not anti-authority. He's not. God is not anti-hierarchy. He's not. He's actually established an order within society, within the home, and within the church. He's not anti-authority or hierarchy. But here's the key difference. But the rivers that run in these hierarchical riverbeds are rivers of love and humility, not of power. So God's design is that leaders are, don't abuse power that leaders are not authoritarian, authoritarian dictatorships, but that instead it is servant leadership like that of Jesus Christ himself. And so we're gonna see that here as well. Here's something else I want you to notice. Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake. And he says to every human authority, for the Lord's sake. Now that's significant because what Peter is drawing out here is again, a very consistent theme that we see throughout scripture. And that is that submission is ultimately for the Lord. It's never for another, simply for another. It's always out of reverence, it's out of respect, it's in sight of, it's in light of God. That's what the Bible says. So in other words, the reason that Christians, that we submit to authorities in our life is not necessarily because the person we're submitting to deserves it. And the reason that we're called to submit to authorities in our life is not necessarily because they have earned our submission. The ultimate reason that we submit is because it's for the Lord. It's, it's for God. It's out of reverence for Christ is what Ephesians 5 is gonna say. Every time you see the Bible talk about submission, it's gonna draw out this point. 
But ultimately, it's for the Lord. It's because you're following Christ and it's out of reverence and respect for him that we submit in these ways. Um, This might sound like a silly analogy, but for those of us who follow Christ, maybe this will help make sense a little bit. I want you to imagine with me for a minute that uh, Jesus Christ himself miraculously this morning descended from heaven. I know this kind of sounds silly, but I just want you to imagine he comes down, he rips open the ceiling or whatever, and he comes right down here and he's right in front of him. Jesus Christ in bodily form is right in front of us. And let's say that as he descends, he looks, you, looks at you right in the eyes and he says your name. And then he says, I have a special task that I have just for you. And he tells you what that task is. Now here's my guess. My guess is for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if we had that kind of clarity and it was that direct that Jesus Christ himself told us something, that we would do what he said. And that we'd be like, yeah, there's no ambiguity. Jesus asked me to do that. I am doing what he asked me to do. Now, here's, here's why I say that. Because it's much harder when we don't directly see Jesus, but who we see is our boss, or who we see is an elected politician, or who we see is an authority in our life. But what Peter is drawing out is he's saying that Christians submit as if, man, as if Jesus himself told us to do this as if Jesus Christ himself said, this is what I want for you. Because look, for those of us who, who believe that what we're holding when we're reading the Bible is actually God's word, then the man, we're saying, this is what God wants for us. This is what God desires for us. And so we do it ultimately out of a reverence and a respect for God. Look at this next thing. I, I like, um, like uh, what it says here. He says, submit yourselves for, every, uh, for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Some of you are like, well, what exactly does that mean? Well, I think what that means is, um, would be like, um, like every human authority. I think that's, that's probably what it's referring to. Uh, but you're like, can you give me some examples? Well, sure. I think that's like, I think it'd be like our president. I think that would be the governmental structure that we find ourselves in. I think that would be elected officials. I think that'd be law enforcement officers. I think that would be parents if you are uh, someone who lives at home. I think that would be teachers. I think that would be institutions. Uh, If you are on a university campus, I think that's the school structure that you're within. Uh, Depending on your employment situation, that's your employer, that's your boss, that's the person you report to. Every human authority. He says, submit yourselves to every human authority, whether the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are, now this is so big what Peter says here, who are sent by God sent by God, sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. I think what Peter's saying here is something that's really powerful and he's recognizing that all human authority ultimately comes from and flows from a greater authority, which is God himself. And what this points out to us is that submission is, not, is, is, is about provision. It is not about exploitation. But the reason that God asks us to submit is in part because he has sent these authorities in our life for our flourishing and for our provision and for our harmony and for our protection. And so when we submit, it's really out of a heart of provision more than it is a heart of exploitation. This is actually the very same point that the apostle Paul makes when you read Romans 13. Let me show you what what Paul says here. He says this. He says, let everyone be subject, which by the way, that's the same word submit, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Do you notice three times, Paul says, where does the authority come from? It comes from God. It comes from God. It comes from God. God has established it. God has established it. 
God has instituted it. So Christians are people who recognize that every source of authority that we have in our life ultimately flows from the authority of God himself. I love the way Tim Keller put this. Tim Keller is an author and pastor in New York City. Here's what he said. He said, musicians are great, are they not? He said, what if they didn't submit to the same key? What if they decided not to submit to the composer or the arranger or the conductor or whatever? He goes on. He says, every time you play a game, every time you stop at a stoplight, every time you get involved in music, you are submitting yourself to authority or else there's chaos. And he's right, right? All of us stop at red lights and all of us want each other to stop at red lights because if we don't, there's chaos and it's dangerous and it's a recognition of that. He goes on, he says this. So on the one hand, Christians understand that human authority is not something that gets in the way of freedom, but human authority properly used creates freedom. He says, therefore, Christians know what lies behind that authority, what lies behind your parents, whether they're good or bad, what lies behind civil government, what lies, whether good or bad, behind that office, behind the position is the authority of God. So Keller says, yeah, Christians recognize that there's an authority that all other authority structures flow from. Now, I know um, that I just said a lot, and that might be a lot to keep track of. So let me see if I can make this whole thing really, really simple. I think a very simple illustration to understand the idea of submission uh, is if you think of an umbrella. So an umbrella is a real, real simple. I actually uh, brought one here with me. I actually got this one out of the lost and found. So if this is your umbrella, um, you can come get it after service and those things. But anyway, so uh, this is an umbrella. And I just think it's so simple. But I feel like this is a really great way of thinking of submission. Because the word submit is the word hupotasso. And that literally just means to place yourself under. It means to come underneath the authority or leadership of those that God has placed in your life. That's the idea of hupotasso. That's what it is. And what the Bible's going to say is that this is the act of submission. That's what that is. And this, this is the act of rebellion. That's what the Bible's going to teach. The Bible's going to say that this under here requires humility, requires humility. Out here is pride, is pride. In here under here is a desire and a heart to serve and honor others. Out here is a desire to serve myself. And here, the Bible's gonna say, is waiting on God. I believe God, I'm trusting God, I'm waiting for him. Out here is I'm gonna take matters in my own hands. I don't believe that God can do for me what I need to get done for myself and I'm going to determine that on my own. Under here is faith and obedience. Out here is fear, fear and disobedience, fear that God does not know what's best for me and that the authorities that he's placed in my life are not, uh, with, are not going to lead to the freedom that God desires for me. It's a very, very simple way to think about things, but basically the Bible's gonna say, yeah, every Christian is to submit themselves to the Lord. So we all have this umbrella, every Christian, but he's gonna say that underneath that, God has also established sub-authorities, so things like the political system, things like elected officials, law enforcement officers. And even under those, he's gonna say there's sub-authorities. So if you're a child who lives with your parents, that's authority that God has placed in your life, your employer, so on and so forth. And what the Bible's gonna say is that God's desire for you, or if you wanna use a churchy word, God's will for you and for me is that we arrange ourselves right here. 
is that we place ourselves safely where God wants us to be underneath those authorities. Now, my guess is that as I'm saying all of that and explaining all of that, that makes all the sense in the world. You're probably like, yep, that's clear, that makes sense. However, you're probably thinking, but, but, I, that makes sense, but what about, and you might be thinking of a scenario or an objection that you have. And let me just tell you, like I said, Peter is going to anticipate this because this leads to the next part. Peter says, yeah, but, so Peter's gonna anticipate a lot of buts. All right, he's gonna do that, which I see some of you chuckling, and that's because we're all middle schoolers in our hearts, right? <laughs> as, as funny, I was talking to my wife, I usually will uh, talk my, when I get ready to, to preach, I'll talk my wife through my notes and get her feedback. And I was talking to her, at, we were at the kitchen island, or not island, peninsula, whatever it is. We were sitting there at the kitchen, and we were talking, I was talking through the notes, and my daughter was coloring, and at one, she wasn't even paying attention to us or anything, but at one point I said, uh, Peter's gonna anticipate a lot of butts. And my daughter just stops coloring, and she starts laughing, and she goes, <laughs> Dad said butt. So there you go, it's fun. Submission, but, so Peter's gonna anticipate lots of objections. So here's the big one. The big one is, yeah, okay, I hear you, but what if the person that I'm supposed to submit to, what if the leader or the authority that God has placed in my life doesn't love me, doesn't want to serve me, isn't gentle, but instead is someone that's harsh or is crooked or is warped or is wicked? Like, what am I supposed to do in that case? And I think Peter's gonna anticipate this, and I want you to notice what he says, because I think this is in here for a reason. Peter says in, uh, in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor, and then he goes on to list other officials. Now, that's a big deal. It's a big deal that he mentions the emperor. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because of who the emperor was during this time. If you've never studied uh, first century Roman history, the emperor in 64 AD, when this was written, would have been a guy named Nero. And Nero by every evaluation, was a bad dude. Uh, he was known uh, for being a narcissistic, tyrannical, impulsive leader. And I mean by every historical account. This guy was a monster. And uh, there's so many different stories about him. I'll actually show you a picture. This is actually a head bust of Nero. And uh, they actually keep finding these because partly they think because maybe he was so narcissistic that he had so many statues built of himself. But they, they took, it's interesting, they actually took all the head busts that they have of Nero and all the pictures and descriptions they have in history, and artists tried to uh, kind of recreate what they believe he would have looked like. And so this is actually an artist rendition of what Nero most likely would have looked like. And so you can see, when I think the thing that, that strikes me the most when you look at this picture is uh, the neck beard. You guys notice that? I'm like, dude, that's the part you're supposed to shave, you know? And then he's got the, the mullet to, to boot. But anyway, so that's, that's Nero. He was a bad dude. And not only was he uh, narcissistic and impulsive, but he also was incredibly antagonistic towards Christians. I'd give you a lot of examples, but I'll just give you one. So in 64 AD, the same year that Peter is estimated to have been written, uh, there was a fire in Rome called the Great Fire of Rome. Uh, this was a fire that was absolutely devastating. Uh, it lasted for six days straight, and then after the sixth day, they had it contained, but then it was reignited, and it, it went on for another three days. It absolutely decimated uh, homes, villages, tons of people lost their life in this thing. 
And one of the critiques that came out of that about Nero was that after this fire finally settled down, rather than rebuilding homes and villages, Nero actually went and built for himself a palace in its place. And the palace that he built was estimated to be, get this, 100 on the conservative end to 300 acres, his palace. And so here's an artist rendition of what they think that might've looked like. So there was a lake that he put inside of this thing. Back here in this courtyard, I don't know if you can notice, but he built himself a, uh, a, a monument that was 100 feet tall of himself. Uh, it's called the Colossus of Nero. Uh, they think maybe it looks something like this or whatever. And so because of this, there was this rumor that was spread around Rome where people said, man, Nero started the fire because he wanted to build an, an, a palace for himself. And so Nero, as a way of, of trying to offset that rumor, he blamed the Christians for the fire. The Christians were already the cultural minority. There was already enough reason for people to misunderstand Christians. And so now it went from misunderstanding Christians to hatred of Christians. This was the impetus for maybe one of the greatest persecutions of Christians in all of, in all of history that we've seen. In fact, maybe you've heard of some of this stuff. This is where Christians would have been fed to wild animals in the Colosseum those type of things. There are actually historical accounts um, of Nero dipping Christians in tar, putting them on poles, and lighting them on fire to illuminate his gardens. Now, you're talking about a bad dude, a bad dude. And look what Peter says. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, even the emperor, even the emperor. Listen, I don't, I don't think it's by any coincidence that God allowed that to be the example that we have in, preserved for us in his words of how far our submission is to go. And so he says, yes, even to the emperor. Um, he says the same thing, very similar. If you look at verse 18, he says, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who do good and are considerate, but also those who are harsh. You see, he's anticipating this objection. He says, yeah, even, even if your master or your employer is harsh, the word harsh, by the way, is the word scolios. It's where we get scoliosis from. It means twisted, it means curved, it means warped. And so he's saying, even if this person has warped morals or this person has a twisted character, he says, even then, we're still to submit ourselves to these kind of leaders in our life. Similarly, look what he says in chapter three. Wives, in the same way, submit yourself to your own husbands that, that if any of them do not believe the word, they might be won over. You notice what he says? He's like, wives, wives might be saying, yeah, but what if my husband doesn't love Jesus? What if my husband doesn't give a rip about serving and loving me like Christ does the church? Now, Peter's gonna come in and say, yep, even in these circumstances, submission is what God desires from his people in this structure. And, and so I think this brings up a whole host of different scenarios that might come to our mind. And so for example, an elected official that I utterly disagree with. What do I do in that circumstance? What do I do when I have an elected official that I utterly disagree with in policy or in character? And the Bible's gonna say, Christians, we are to submit. We're to submit ourselves to them. I think this is important to remember in the next election cycle. Uh, in uh, a hypocritical law enforcement officer, and so let's say you're, a, a cop sails past you on the highway going 75 miles an hour to 65. As you know, something inside of you says, man, how hypocritical is that, that they don't even keep the same laws that they're trying to enforce on me. So why should I keep the laws? say, nope, nope. You, you're to still submit yourself to these laws. Uh, a boss who demands of me what they're not willing to do themselves. 
So what if you have a boss and she's like, I want you to stay till this time, but she always taps out early. And so when she leaves, why am I supposed to stay? I'm out of here. Peter's gonna say, no, work is unto the Lord, is unto the Lord. Submit for the Lord's sake. Uh, parents who have rules that seem overly strict to me. So students, if you live at home with your parents right now, and you're like, my parents, they got these rules, and I, I'm okay with like, obeying the ones that I like, but it's the ones I don't like I have a problem with. I'm like, well, right, that's kind of like the human thing. But nonetheless, God's gonna say, God has placed him in your life for a reason. Uh, a selfish spouse who, who it seems like you serve and serve and give and give and give, and it just seems like they take advantage of that. What do you do? And Peter's gonna say, that's a place for submission. It's a place for submission. Now, listen, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean uh, that Christians can't disagree. It doesn't mean that Christians can't speak up. It doesn't mean that Christians subject themselves to continual abuse, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that we don't take action. We live in an awesome country. We can take political action, we can vote for leaders, we can quit our jobs, we can find different jobs. I'm not saying that doesn't mean that there's marriages where it's not the right move to leave. Um, we're actually gonna talk a little bit more about marriage next week, so I think if there's some questions on that, some of that might help clarify that. But what I am saying is this, is that Peter is saying, listen, the way that Christians do that, we need to be known for the way we do that. And that is to be done with gentleness, that is to be done with respect, that is to be honorable, to those that are in authority over us, and that when we do that, we are to do that with a heart of submission, is what scripture says. So if you think about it this way, the Bible's gonna say, yeah, we submit ourselves to the Lord. God has established authorities under that, and so even if they're harsh, God's desire for us is that we submit in those cases. Now, some of you, I know what you might be thinking, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying, that makes sense, but what if the picture looks a little more like this? All right? And what if the leader that I'm submitting to is actually asking me to do things that are directly outside of what God desires? Like, what am I supposed to do with that part, huh? Answer me that, pastor. All right, what are we supposed to do here? And uh, all right, so let me just kind of help clarify that real quick. The Bible's gonna say that where authorities are asking us to do something that is in direct violation or contrary to scripture, we must listen to God. You have to listen to God on those ones. And, uh, and so the Bible's gonna say, we should arrange ourselves right here. Submit where you can, submit where you can. And where you can't, respectfully, lovingly, honorably, you can step outside of that and say, I cannot do the thing you're asking me to do. Great example of this, if you're looking for one, is Acts 4. The very same Peter, who wrote the book of 1 Peter, found himself in that very situation. The, the leaders at that time looked at him and they said, we command you that you never speak the name of Jesus Christ ever again. And Peter looked at them and with gentleness and respect, he said, I'll let you decide what is right, but what do you think is better, that we listen to you or we listen to God? And he said, on this account, we have to listen to God. Jesus Christ himself told us that we should speak his name and tell the world about him. And so we are going to speak the name of Jesus and we are going to accept whatever consequences that brings. And he went on and he did that. So what if you have an, employ an employer and they're asking you to do something that's wicked? They're asking you to do something that's, that's corrupt or that's sinful. What if your employer is asking you to take clients out to a Steelers game? Can you do that? The answer is no. Right? And not unless they're playing the Browns. This is not possible. So you get it. Now listen, here's, here's, a, here's, here's kind of a moment of honesty here is I understand that this conversation is met with some tension. And I could feel it. I just know that that's a thing. 
And there's so many different nuances of what about this and what about that and how does it work in this situation? And we can't anticipate all of those things. But can I just say, this is probably a good place to say this. I try not to edit the Bible and I try not to editorialize the Bible. And I have found that oftentimes the tension we feel arises when we are exposed to truth, to God's truth. I've also learned that oftentimes the the sermons that make us squirm the most are the greatest potential for growth. Because usually what that means is it's hitting against something inside of us that God wants to transform and he wants to change. And so I believe that. Now, uh, I think that if we stop the sermon here, that would be short-sighted because of this last thing. And that's the why, the why. And this is crazy to me. You know, I don't know if we ever asked this question, but like, why? why? Why does God want us to submit? What is the ultimate goal of submission? And one of the things I thought was so cool as I was looking at First Peter is I think that he is gonna reveal that there are two unexpected, unforeseen outcomes that come when submission happens. The first one you're gonna see is actually right here in verse 15 and 16. So notice what he says. He says, it's God's will, it's God's desire that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. I just want you to, I want to draw this out real quick because I think when you read this and think about it, this could seem really paradoxical, right? What did Peter just say? Peter said, submit yourself to every human authority for the Lord's sake. Submit yourself to every human authority. Then he says, live as free people. Then he says, live as God's slaves. And you're like, What? Does that not seem like the most oxymoronic thing to say? Live as free people. Subject yourself to all human leaders. Live as God's slaves. Like, which is it? And here's what I believe. I believe that this is not paradoxical at all. I think that it actually draws out a really, really profound point that Peter is making. And the point, if I could articulate it another way, I would say it this way, is that the Bible is going to say that submission to God is the pathway to our freedom. That serving God and submitting ourselves to God is the true way that we become free people. I don't know if you ever thought about it this way before, but the truth is, we all submit to something. We all submit to someone. We do. To quote from the ancient philosopher Bob Dylan, uh, he said, everybody's gotta serve somebody. And it's true, and it's true. We live in a world today where I believe, I believe, according to the Bible, we have a faulty definition of freedom. What is our definition of freedom? Here's our definition of freedom. It is unbridled submission to yourself. That's what it is. It is you do what you want, how you want. We believe that freedom is I do what I want, whenever I want, however I want. And what the Bible is gonna say is that unbridled self-indulgence is not freedom. It's actually slavery that you're a slave to yourself. Because if you only serve yourself, then you're just simply a slave to yourself. And the Bible's gonna say, if you're a slave to yourself, it's going to make you a miserable person. It is going to make you hard-hearted and you are gonna have no ability to love anyone else beyond yourself. It's slavery. Has anyone ever met someone who had unrestricted self-indulgence and it led anywhere good? It leads to a hard heart and to a narrow focus into slavery. And what the Bible is gonna say is, we think that that's freedom, but that's not freedom. That is simply self-slavery. In the Bible, true freedom is when we submit ourselves to God. And we trust our Father and we believe that what he wants for us is good. And so we use our freedom to serve God 
and to serve other people. It leads to our ultimate freedom. And the second thing is this. He says, it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. What Peter's gonna say, and this is a consistent theme throughout all scripture, is that our submission actually has a huge impact on people, that our submission makes a difference. I'll put it this way because Peter's gonna pull this out. Submission to others can actually lead to their salvation. Now, this blew my mind as I was studying this this week because it gave me a fresh vision for why I submit. Because submission actually can pave the way as an opportunity for someone else to know and follow Jesus. And like I said, you see this all over the Bible. So look at 1 Peter 3. He says, wives, in the same way, submit to your own husbands, so that if any of them don't believe the word, look at this, they might be won over. Do you, do you see what the goal of this type of submission is? There is an evangelistic component that it might pave the way and create an opportunity to soften the heart of the person that they can come to know Jesus. That's what he's saying. You see the same thing in Titus chapter two. This is so similar to what Peter says. He says, teach slaves to be subject or to submit to their masters, to try to please them, not to talk back, not to steal from them, to show that they can be fully trusted so that, here's the purpose, in every way they may make the teaching of God our savior attractive, that there's something about this, that when we live in honor and respect, willing to submit, that it is gonna soften the heart of those who are near us and around us. We are going to stand out in the world that we live in, and it's gonna create an opportunity for people to know Jesus. You see the same thing in Timothy, 1 Timothy 2. I urge that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving made for all people, for kings and those in authority. You notice what he says here, by the way, it's huge for those of us who follow Christ. We should pray for we should be thankful for uh, all of those who are in authority. He doesn't say blast them on social media. He doesn't say rail on them, you know, in whatever. He says, no, pray for them. Pray for them. Be thankful. And he says, so that we can live peaceable, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so all over the Bible, it's gonna say that submission is an opportunity to pave the way for the salvation of another person. And the truth is, when we do that, we look like Jesus. We look like Jesus. I like the way that one author puts it, a guy by the name of Elliot Clark in his book, Evangelism as Exiles. He says, what good is it if we're only nice to the people who are nice to us? Sounds a lot like something Jesus said once. He says, rather, it's a true sign of God's grace in our lives when we can be respectfully submissive to unpleasant and unfair authority. Just as our enduring hope can be a compelling testimony when we suffer, showing respect to our rivals has a way of validating the gospel that we preach. Many times people won't be compelled to listen to our message on account of sound arguments or persuasive evidence. Instead, their ears will only open when we demonstrate inexplicable kindness, meekness, and compassion. So I think that frames up this idea of submission in a way that softens our heart to realize that there is a purpose to it that God actually wants to use it, that we can highlight him to the world that we look in. The truth is, um, for those of us who follow Jesus, part of following Jesus means following his submission. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, Jesus was a person who was submitted. He submitted himself to the Father. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Do you know that Jesus submitted himself to a corrupt governmental system? He said, Pay to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's. Jesus submitted himself to a corrupt, a corrupt judicial system. 
Uh, he was the victim of an injustice that ultimately crucified him, and yet he didn't retaliate against that, but instead he submitted himself to it. Jesus submitted himself to the world system, even to death itself, and yet he entrusted himself to the Father, and because he entrusted himself to the Father, what did God accomplish through Jesus' submission? He accomplished Jesus' victory, and he accomplished our salvation. And I'm just saying, if that's what God can do with the submission of his son, what can he do with the submission of his children? What can he do if we who follow Jesus become people like that as well? I believe it could change the world. I think it could change the world. So here's the bottom line. And uh, the, band, the band can come up and we'll pray. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that submission for those who follow Jesus is a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice of the heart that God asks you to willingly make for his sake, for your freedom, and for other salvation. And so I think for all of us, you know, as we have an opportunity to sing and worship, I would encourage you, man, just to look at your own heart and to process through this. If, where are the roles in your life where God is asking you to submit? And is there anything you need to talk to God about there? Are there areas that you need to soften your heart to come underneath what God desires for you in this area? Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just wanna say thank you for, uh, for your word to us this morning, God. Thanks that uh, you have preserved for us uh, such helpful uh, instructions in how to live and uh, how to live for you. And God, the truth is, man, this is a tough, this is a tough topic for us, especially, you know, for the, the culture that we find ourselves in. Submission is not super popular. And yet, Lord, we believe that, and we believe and declare that we think your word leads to freedom, that what you're after is that you don't want something from us, but you want something for us. So I pray you'd help us to see that. God, would you give us faith? Give us faith. Give us faith to trust you to submit in the places we need to, help us to recognize that it's a choice and help us to make that choice out of a place of faith, not out of a place of fear. And God, I also pray, would you please just give us faith to believe that submission honors you and blesses you and that it draws your enthusiastic support. Father, I know that there's circumstances in this room that are nuanced and difficult, and so I pray you give wisdom in those circumstances, but help us to be people who reflect and look like you and we just ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.